Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. We've had a little continuation of Guy Talk. It's going to last another 30, which I always look forward to, the extended version, which means uh, if you've got a question you'd like to ask the panel, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. The panel's uh, thinned, thinned down a little bit. We're down to the Toms, Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, a couple of pastors. and we're Just us? Yeah, I bet that makes you happy, doesn't it? I get to it? talk more. Yeah. Remember, you're on a microphone in front of you, Tom. You don't have to shout, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so let me know what the questions are. 877-933-2484 is a question from a listener. Can you ask the guys if Jesus addressed both group prayer as well as individual prayer? You know, Lord, teach us how to pray. He certainly... Uh, talk to them individually. Was there ever any, uh, did Jesus ever address group prayer? Well, he did it with his disciples. You mm-hmm. know, they would, they would gather and he would pray and pray, our father who are in heaven, let all the plurals mm-hmm. that would have been prayed in a group. True. So, yeah, I think he did. Um, do we have a lot of specific biblical information that says that? Probably not, except that not only did he pray his disciples, he went to the synagogue where he preached. There were prayers in there before mm-hmm. he got up to preach. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the temple, he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. So he understood the nature of corporate prayer in the temple. So I, I think he had it all together. Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt he did have it all together. But, you know, it's interesting because there's many times people when they get in a group and, and there's corporate prayer going on, I don't know if it's people feel insecure or if they're feeling like they could be judged or I don't pray as well as Pastor Parrish prays, so I'm going to feel, you know, a little bit funny. And um, I don't know if there's anything we learned from Scripture about that kind of prayer. Hmm. Maybe not. I'll tell you what I learned to do with that long ago, because you're right, Bill. I saw that in people. And so when we would do corporate prayer, and we at Hope when I was there, we did a lot of uh, praying together. St. Paul's, I've done a lot of prayer, small groups. But I would start with the large group, and then I would say, now, we're going to break down in groups of two each. Mm-hmm. Bill, you and Tom pray together. Okay. And then, then the, it, that was a lot more comfortable, praying together. And after doing that for a while, then I'd break them into groups of th- not that night, but months later, groups of three. Yeah. And it was amazing how people that would never pray out loud or were terrified of that became some of the best prayer people right. we had and became very vocal. Yeah, you just some people are petrified to pray out yeah. loud in front of others as like people are petrified to do public speaking. All you all I can tell you you just start doing it and after a while it gets easier. Right. It's a, it's a process, but we have to part of the thing of it is in Christianity. Pastors especially when they preach and teach the word have to provide opportunity for members to participate. Mm-hmm. to do something with it. And if they do, then a lot of good things can happen, whether it's prayer, whether it's the Word, whether... I mean, I've had sermons where I've, I've instead of preaching for 25 minutes, I preach for 15, and I'll say, what are your questions? Yeah. And I've actually had people raise their hand on Sunday morning with questions 
on the text. Well, and, that was good. And I I did this a few times, and yeah. I'm glad I did it. Uh, a f- few Sundays, I, I said, "Let's we're going to take 12 minutes now, and let's all get in the group. And this is for the whole, this is the church service now. <laughs> and let's get in groups of five. And if you're not comfortable praying out loud, that's fine. Just sit and pray quietly. But would you pray about, we'll say, the elections? Or would you pray about uh, the cancer, mm-hmm. the uh, pandemic or whatever? And you could, to be able to look over across the congregation and see them all in small groups, a lot of them praying, a lot of them being quiet. But it was so healthy oh, yeah. to break out of that boring, normal church service, excuse me for saying boring, but that where you do the same thing every Sunday. And you have, when you do that, you, you've got to talk to the person next to you. you yeah. know? And so uh, I think it's good to do that now and then. Because we often will say in passing to people, I'll pray for you. Right. And wouldn't it be a powerful moment if... if you said, well, I'm going to call you after dinner Thursday night, and I'll pray for you. Right. Yep. <laughs> Bingo. That's exactly what we yeah. should be doing. I, I mean, wouldn't that be a powerful yeah. testimony to yeah. look at? I'm serious about what I said, of praying for you. Right. And to even do it right then. But think about you know, I love that time. Yeah, I do too. Think about the couple that lost the child that we talked about earlier. Okay, they lose this child. They go to church every Sunday. What is everybody in the church going to say when they see them? I'll be praying for you. I'm praying for you. Which I'm is great. About you. Which is great. But how many pick up the phone during the week? And do that, or invite them over for dinner mm-hmm. and say, let's have dinner together. You know, we'll spend some time eating and talking and praying. Uh, isolation is what kills most people, and that's where the devil works the best. Yep. We need that community. Mm-hmm. You get alone with your thoughts for very long, and if you're not, mm-hmm. if you're not speaking truth to your heart <laughs> and reminding yourself of what the gospel says and what the Bible teaches, yep. you're going to drift into some negative thinking. Yeah. Or am I just thinking that's me? No, no it's, it's everybody. It's me too. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Another comment came in about something we were talking about earlier about unchurched people who don't hear the gospel and what happens to them if they've spent their whole life. And the comment was, uh, you didn't, did you mention Romans one twenty? I believe that's another good answer to the question. Tom Parrish, can you look up Romans one twenty right and make a comment on that? relative to people who maybe have never heard the gospel expressed. I always think God can reach everybody in whatever way he chooses. Mm -hmm. And then how they respond to however he chose to reach them is how he'll judge, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Here's what verse 20 says in Romans 1. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Well, that's a powerful... So, First. so Paul is teaching in Romans 1, everybody is guilty because we knew there was a God from creation. Right. And those are Gentiles. Then he gets to chapter 2 of Romans and he goes after the Jews. And because the Jews were probably thinking during Romans 1, yeah, go after those non, non-Jewish pagans uh, who should have known about God from creation. But then Paul turns the gun on the Jews in Romans chapter 2 and talks about, you had special revelation, you had the Ten Commandments, and you didn't keep it. But he also says in Romans 2, God's law is written on everybody's heart. So the, the person that has never heard the gospel, they're still accountable for their sin before God for two reasons. Number one, they knew there was a God from creation, and they suppressed that truth. In Romans 2, God's law is written on our heart, and we've broken it all. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 3, Paul brings in Jesus. 
Yeah. And he's the savior for Jew and Gentile because uh, you can't save yourself. But uh, Romans 1, 2, and 3 is just the gospel. Who, help me the here. law who, and gospel. Who was the author, the missionary who wrote Peace Child? Da- Don. Don Richmond? Don Peterson. No. I'm sorry, folks. Okay, there you go. I had a privilege of sitting and having dinner with him. He came and spoke at our church years ago. And he said the one thing he came to realize going to Papua New Guinea and going out in the jungle, and he lived among those people, he said they already had a knowledge of God in their heart. He said it was already there. He said what they didn't have is the connection with Jesus, but they were desperately looking for it. Mm -hmm. And when he wrote the book Peace Child, he said the, the two tribes were battling, and he's trying to stop the battle. And finally, one of the the chiefs said, I know what to do. And he took his newborn child from his wife's arms, walked over to the other chief and put him in his arms and said, from this point on, we won't fight because we're family. We're brothers together. And that became the peace child. And Don, or the author said that is exactly who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And, And the people, it was a revelation for all the people. Martin Luther said, God apart from Christ is terrifying. He didn't want to meet God without Christ. <laughs> because yeah. Romans 1, the God of creation and nature, it's terrifying because we've sinned against him. Uh, Romans chapter 2, the God of the law written on our heart is terrifying because we've broken that law. And uh, this is the old law and gospel. God, we have to hear the, the law first, that God's law condemns us, so we can hear the gospel, the good news that God in his grace through Christ has forgiven us. But without Christ, all you get is law, and you don't want that. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. And if exactly. they've re- rejected Jesus, they will continue to yeah. keep looking for Jesus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in some and, way and try every possible way they can. Yeah. yeah. Don Richardson. I there found go. his name. That's Good for you, Don Tom. Richardson. Yeah. Read that book. If you haven't read it, folks, read it. It's a tremendous Peace book. Child. Peace Child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tom, you kind of recently you were telling me about an answer to a pretty cool prayer. I love answers to prayers, and especially ones that are encouraging. Maybe sure. you'd share that. Um, Twenty years ago, I wrote my first book called Stepping into Eternity. And it started with my mother-in-law dying, and I was with her when she died. And I can't tell you why. She came out of the coma, and she was talking. And I said to her, Mom, who are you talking to? She said, Jesus, in a very clear voice. And then we had a little discussion back and forth. And then I saw this six months later. Well, I wrote the first book called Stepping to Eternity because I wanted people not only to uh, know how to share the gospel or what the gospel message is, but the actual steps. How do, you, how do you talk with somebody that's in a coma? Do you stay quiet or do you talk out loud? You know, how do you talk to somebody who's been alienated? Well, long story short, a family member, a distant family member through marriage, contacted me last week and said, I need five more of your books. I need them right now. She said, my father uh, is dying, was dying of cancer, and uh, he was in pretty bad shape in the hospital. But she said, you need to understand, he abandoned our family and went into the gay lifestyle and really alienated a lot of family members. And so he's a very bitter, angry man. His life had not gone well. She said, "I had you gave me the book 15 years ago. And I remember it was like Christmas time. I gave her the book. Uh, in a family gathering, and she said, I didn't read it. (laughs) Well, I suppose that happens. (laughs) But she said, the other day, I saw the book on my shelf, and I felt compelled to read it. And she said, I did, and it told me step by step how to talk to my dad. And she said, I went to the hospital, and I said to him finally, I said, Dad, are you ready to meet Jesus? And she said he turned his head away, and he was bitter, and he didn't want to talk about it. But then you gave me another step, and I took that step. And she said, within an hour... My dad, 
holding my hands, mm. repented of his sins, mm. and has Jesus into his life, mm. and was gone not long after that. Mm. So uh, I'm not here to to push books or anything like that that I write. But the bottom line is there are things you can do and there are ways you can talk to people and lead them. And I've done that with many people, Bill, on their deathbed because they're, they're finally asking the right questions. What happens when I die? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can give them some answers. And tell me the name of the book again and then bring five next week and we'll uh, give them away. <laughs> I will that? do that. Uh, it's called Stepping to Eternity, Encountering Jesus at the Moment of Death. And if you go to my website, the big www.2toeternity.org, that book's on there and my other books and nice. materials. All right, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. If you have a question, let me know what it is. I've got some still good questions coming in. 877-933-2484. That's the text number, 877-933-2484. You can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Maybe that's easier for you to remember, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We're doing Guy Talk, and let me know if you've got a question, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Here's a question that came in. Tom Brock, you want to, or Tom Paris, you want to take a look at that one? Okay, what are the panel's thoughts on Exodus 24, 9 through 11? Then Moses, Aaron, uh, Nadab, uh, Baihu, and 70 uh, elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there were there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue uh, lapis luzali. As lapis clear, lazuli. That's Lap- right. I, d- I don't have my reading glasses on. So that's okay. Really, we're going to cut them yeah, slack. Yeah, as clear as this guy Boy, itself. And though I these love no- the correct time. Yeah. <laughs> and though these no, I'm not done yet. <laughs> and though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, they did not. Dis- uh, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Powerful verse. So what's the question? What do we think? What are their thoughts on that? I think probably his question is, they saw God and they didn't die. And aren't there verses that say that if you see Mm. God, you'll die? Mm -hmm. I think if we see God in in his absolute fullness in this life, (laughs) we probably would die. But we don't in this life. But they got a glimpse. I think that's what I would say. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, the Scripture is very firm on those who, who see the Lord don't survive. However, he did reveal himself in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't want to minimize that and make Jesus less than God. He is God. Here, we kind of get a foretaste of that, and they had a covenant meal, and they, they, they sat together. I think that's incredible that that happened. I would like to have been there mm-hmm. uh, to see what that was actually like. But I know there have been moments I felt like I was in the real presence of the Lord in an extraordinary you know, supernatural way. And I can still remember those events years later. Me too. How it affected my heart and my thinking. So great passage. Yeah, that's really good. All right, here's uh, something from a listener regarding a um, devotional by Oswald Chambers. Do you know Oswald Chambers? I yes. do. Mm-hmm. My utmost for his highest. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Or mm-hmm. Yes, my, my utmost for his highest. Yeah. Those were all sermons. And were his they? wife put them together into a devotional after he died. No kidding. Yeah, he never wrote a devotional. Those were all his sermons, and she just edited and put them together. Mm. And so I told my wife, Jan, to get busy. And I know <laughs> people love that book, and, and it's a very good book. It's a good daily devotional. Yeah. But about half of them, I get done, I think, 
what was he saying? <laughs> they, they're just kind of difficult, I think. I, I've got I, I, they're for deep thinkers, Tom. I've got well, I've got <laughs> devotional books I like better. To be honest with you, but it's good. It's good biblical stuff. Oh. Yeah, the ones that I, I understand easily, I really like. But I think you're right, Tom. I think I read some of these and I go, I'm not sure what he's no. getting at. And one of the ones sent over by a listener uh, was involved justification by faith. And Oswald Chambers says, I'm not saved by believing. I simply realize I am saved by believing. And it is not repentance that saves me. Repentance is, the, is only the sign that I realize what God has done through Christ Jesus. Well, that makes sense. He's putting all the emphasis on Jesus. And if you understand that's what he's saying, I don't save myself by believing. Jesus saves me. Faith becomes the connection. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. It is a gift, gift. and it's a gift from the Lord. And so he gives us those gifts, and when we exercise those gifts, we connect. But in terms of the salvation, I don't produce the salvation. Right. And do you remember in the book of Acts when the Jewish Christians get surprised that the Gentiles become saved? They say, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Yes. So if you have repented of your sins, if you put your faith in Christ— that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, you did not do that. Right. Yeah. Right. I well, think, uh, go ahead, Tom. Well, in the end, I remember one pastor saying to me, I was back in seminary, he said, Tom, uh, if you go to hell, it's all your fault. If you go to heaven, you can't take any credit for yeah, it. That's right. And I had to think about that for a while. Now, that's kind of a, a trite statement in the way it's said. But he was absolutely right because the Lord has done everything possible for me to be saved. He's done everything possible for all of us. He has literally laid it in our laps. He has literally opened our hearts to understand it through spiritual awakening, because it's the Spirit who does that. If we refuse it, that's our problem. Mm-hmm. But he says, come to me, and I will, you know, take you to be with me. Mm-hmm. And the devotional continues to say, the salvation that comes from God is not based on human logic, but on the sacrificial death of Jesus. Yes. We can be born again solely because of the atonement of our Lord. Sinful men and women can be changed into new creations, not through their repentance or their belief, but through the wonderful work of God in Christ Jesus, which preceded all of our experience. Mm -hmm. Think about it. If you've got a big banquet in a room and somebody's standing on the outside and you say, friend, come in through the opening and share our banquet. Because you came in through the opening, you don't take any credit for coming in through the opening. And that's what repentance is. Repentance opens the door mm-hmm. to what the Lord has done. The banquet, we didn't set up the banquet. We didn't. We just sit down now and enjoy what's there. That's what Jesus has done for mm-hmm. us. So, yeah, I understand exactly what he's saying, and it makes a lot of sense. And what I like about it, Bill, it takes the burden off of me to be good enough. I will never be good enough, but Jesus is. And that's where my confidence is. And, you know, if we could just talk about daily devotionals. I love daily devotionals. They're Mm -hmm. one page. They're quick and easy. Uh, There's And just uh, my utmost for his highest is one of the most popular. Another really good one is by O. Hallisby. Oh, he's great. uh, O. Period Hallisby. I don't know if you can still get it, but it's like daily 
daily uh, be be aware there's something called the daily word which comes yeah. from a cult in Missouri that you do sometimes people say oh, isn't this a great book no it's not my day our daily bread now that's a great daily yeah. devotional but beware of the daily word that's not from God but then there's I've got one selections of Luther for every day of the of the year then there's some some woman God bless her sent me a daily devotional book of the Calvinist Puritans of the 1600s. Boy, it's good. Yeah. And so just uh, go do, go to a Christian bookstore, look on the web, and just type in Martin Luther Daily Devotional or, um, you know, Reformed Presby- uh, uh, Calvinist Daily Devotional or uh, O'Hallisby. Those are great daily devotional books. All right. Here's a little pushback from listeners. We Who created awe in the one who pursues astronomy? Rather arrogant remark. Who needs another astronomer? I said that. I know you did. And the point wasn't to put down astronomy. I know. It's just that the Lord doesn't need astronomers in order to be glorify himself. And can I say this? So I went to the, uh, what is it, the Adler Planetarium in Chicago. I walked through that slowly. I'm not scientific, but I came out of that thing marveling yeah. at how God is running the universe. I mean, things get off just about 12 feet, the planet will blow up. I mean, I was, I, and I came out, and here's the, here's the, uh, ask the astronomer desk. So you could go up to the astronomer. And I just had to, I said, I said, I'm just curious. Do you think astronomers tend to be more or less atheistic than the general population? And he said, oh, much more. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you're kidding. After yeah. everything I had seen that pointed to the God of the universe, they're more atheistic than normal. Yeah, I'm yeah. also. I do astrophotography. Yeah, and, and, to, actually, and Tom, your, your tone was gentle, wasn't it? I thought so. Even in the response you just gave, I thought so. I thought so too. I mean, I mean, I'm not putting down astronomers. No, right. I, I know you're not. But this obviously, this listener thought it was an arrogant remark, and I don't believe that you meant it in that vein. And also, uh, I don't think that you're being defensive right now. I hope not. Anyway, no, no. It's just a neat way to understand. I think too many of us live for our vocation. And you know what? That's 30, 40 years for most people. And then you go to a nursing home and you die. Or you make a lot of money and you uh-huh. move down to Florida and you live there. Okay, great. We're here such a short period of time. Yeah, we are. It is, in, it is in that vocation, whether it's being an astronomer, whether it's being a doctor, whether it's being a, a garbage collector, quite honestly. It is in that opportunity now that you get to be speak for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a yeah, shame about point, the astronomers. Your point was not you shouldn't be an astronomer. Oh, no. But be an astronomer for the Lord. For the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We just have a minute left, and this is a simple question I think we can answer quickly. And it's a very sweet question from a very sweet listener because I love this. We we all know that when we get to heaven, we can only enter if our name is in the book of life. What if we've had several names because of adoption, marriage, et cetera? You only have one name, and Jesus knows what yeah, that's it is. exactly it. God knows exactly who you are. <laughs> yeah, and there'll be no bo- mistake. If, if you're born again, your name is in the book of life. He knows. Amen. Amen. Not, not it was word. written in the book of life before the foundation of the, of earth. the earth. Isn't, Isn't that incredible? incredible? Amazing. All that's right. why we believe in predestination. All right, let's uh, <laughs> thank the guys for being here, <laughs> I hope. And then uh, we'll be, take a little break. We'll be back with more in just a minute.
life? Have you moved away from the Lord at some point? Uh, I think it happens to many believers, just you drift away a little bit. And we're going to talk to Pastor Justin Kane at New Day Church in Illinois. He's got a new book out called Drifted. And he's going to help us uh, see why we drift and and where we drift to and how it affects our relationship with God. And probably, I'm guessing, this will apply to most listeners. So, uh, Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. Yes. This is a, a great treat, and I know this is a very sober day for many people, Remind you know, just remembering what took place yeah. 19 years ago. So where, thank you again. Where were you when you got the news? I was actually in college. I was going from one class to another class, and everything everything stopped. Yeah, no kidding. And everybody was glued to a TV, and I was in the uh, upper room of one of the, the buildings and watched it on a little TV for, for hours on end. All right, so I just have a general idea how old you are now. So you're just a little older than me, which is good. So uh, let's talk about your, let's talk about your book, Drifted. Uh, very interesting uh, title, very interesting book. Now let's just talk about COVID and how so many churches shutting down. Uh, has that been an opportunity for people to drift? Yeah, yeah. I think I think almost on the reverse side, it's actually been a blessing for many people to actually get back to a place where some of the crutches um, and the very things that they had their confidence in were no longer at their dis- disposal. Hmm. And so they had to find a place where this relationship is between them and Jesus. It's not between them and their pastor or them and their, their minister or them and their mentor. It's between them and God. And I think parents have had to find a way to um, bring God back into the homes. And so I think in some respects, this could possibly be a blessing in disguise. I had the opportunity to pastor uh, a young church and um, young, and I mean, I started the church a couple of years ago, and I found this to be something that has been a blessing to many of them, finding their way back to a relationship with God that isn't based upon just the church they go to or the Sunday service that they attend. Yeah. So, Justin, let's um, talk about the ways in which we drift, yeah. why we drift, uh, you know, and how that affects our relationship with God. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I think it's a great way to start is it happened to me. I've been in ministry for almost 20 years, uh, a pastor for all 20 of those years, and I didn't realize, Bill, that I had drifted, and I didn't drift into a lifestyle of sin. I didn't drift away from the church. I drifted into a functional, transactional way of relating with God. Mm. I think it happens to every single believer um, to some degree. Drifting is something that it's very hard to detect when it comes to sin and it comes to a lifestyle that is maybe contrary to God. It's easy to detect, but when you actually drift into function, you actually are admired for the letters that you create and the function that you exemplify. And so people begin to um, applaud me. And when you, when, when I found myself there stepping away from a ministry that I was a part of, the question I had to ask myself is, how did I get here? How did I get from a place where it was all about Jesus to a place where now I'm transacting with God, where it, mm. the whole relationship with my father is dependent upon my performance? And it, mine, so to speak, led to a, a great level of pride. I was very proud with the ladders that I created. And what I mean by a ladder is I believe that without even realizing it, we've exchanged the cross that saved us for ladders that actually bring us to a, a, a better place with God. 
and we miss it greatly. And we as ministers are guilty of teaching function. It happens to um, young kids. Uh, my two young daughters are in private school, and at the very onset of a young age, they're taught how to be good Christian kids even before they know Jesus is a personal Savior. So they're taught at a young age how to function as a Christian but not necessarily have the relationship that's thriving. And I found that it has led to great level of pressure, stress, um, disappointment, condemnation, guilt, shame. I don't find many people that are enjoying their relationship with God because they feel like they just don't measure up. They feel like they still have so far to go. Uh, So this drifting is not referencing the drift into a, a sinful life. It's a drift into a functional, transactional way of relating with God. Mm-hmm. Justin, I, I hope I say this well, and excuse me if I don't, yeah. but is it possible for uh, pastors to start feeling like professional Christians and and their church is their business and they've got to get business done and in a way it takes them away from their intimate relationship with Christ? Oh, I mean, Bill, you 100% hit the, the nail on the head. Is is that's exactly what happens. We, we as ministers drift into, you know, and you know what, because we get admired for our giftings, sure. we get admired for our disciplines. And that's, this is one of the questions I ask um, to those who come to New Day, and it, it's a trick question, so we don't have to answer it, you know, if you're listening to me. But I ask them, who's the best Christian you know? And after I give them some time <laughs> to think about that, I, I say, if you even have a name, you've drifted. You've drifted away from what the gospel is because all of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And if we start to see pastors and ministers and mentors as, while they're here, I can't wait till I get there, and we start to admire their functionality, we will try to emulate and conform to, oh, you pray every morning? I'm going to pray every morning. Oh, you pray two times a day? I'm going to pray two. And, and, And what happens is that function, it doesn't lead us closer to God. It actually leads us to a place where we start to feel, it actually causes us to feel like God must be disappointed because I can't pray like my pastor. And so ministers are guilty of allowing people to be, put them on a pedestal in a place where we now start to, we start to make sure people believe about us um, the way that they want to. And we are all fallen, broken humans. And I want to be as transparent and honest with people as I possibly can on my journey so that they know we're in the same boat. We are, we are all sons and daughters who desperately need the mercy and the grace of God every single day. I just have a call to be a pastor, and I have a gift to be a teacher. But that does not put me in a place where I'm a better Christian than somebody else. Mm-hmm. Justin, how do we recognize a drifter, and then how do we come alongside and love on them? Uh, because, you know, people will pretty much show us what they want us to see. Yeah, that's a great question. I think drifting can be recognized by... Uh, two things. Relational, it's relational versus functional. I think one of the staple statements in our our community that I I pastor is God is relational before he's functional. He's not anti-function. It's just that function has to be birthed out of a relationship. So how do we know that we drifted? One of the key ways is we believe that we initiate and God responds to us. So if I do this, then God will do this. If I do this, then God will do this. So if I serve, then I'll have a better blessed life. If Mm -hmm. I give, if I pray, then God's going to respond to that. And so we start to use those things to get something from God. The relational gospel tells us God did what he did, and now we respond to him every single day. So his mercies are new every day. I'm going to respond to that mercy 
every single day. His grace is in abundance, so I'm going to respond to his grace. He has reconciled me on the cross, so I'm going to respond to his reconciliation. And now my entire life, from my prayer, link, my prayer time to my Bible reading time, is all about responding to a father who dearly loved me, found a way to bring me back home, and now I'm just responding to him. So I'm not trying to earn his love. I'm actually responding to, to a love that he's already have, has toward me. And so that's why the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So everything is responsive in our Christian walk. And when we drift into a, I do this and God, will you do this? We've drifted into a functional, transactional way of relating with God and it kills intimacy and it kills joy. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I would love for you to add into this discussion, the sowing and reaping um, oh, yes, idea. I would love to. Please. Right now? Yes, Good. please. Um, is, is, I, I want to start off with this statement. We have the, the amazing privilege of reaping what Jesus sowed for us. So think about this, Bill, is that Jesus died on our behalf and us on that cross. He now says, as a result of you putting your trust in me, I've exchanged my life for your life. And now... Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So there is this exchange that took place at the cross. And now I have to identify, according to Romans 6, with the death and the resurrection of Christ. So I died with him, but I was also raised to life with him. And now I'm granted this newness of life. So I am now enjoying all of the the reaping of what Jesus sowed. Now Mm -hmm. that comes to now decisions. And this is where I think people have to understand the nature of God. When we mess up, of course, God is always ready to forgive. We see that with the prodigal son, that when he came back, the father ran to him. But when we mess up, we see God sometimes as a punisher. Well, God's going to punish you if you disobey. There's a big difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is actually, in a criminal language, it's to bring justice to what was done wrong. But discipline is the reward of being his son or daughter that he loves. So now I'm not being punished for the wrongdoing. I'm not going to reap his punishment or his wrath for the things that I do wrong. I'm actually going to be disciplined because he he dearly loves me, and he's going to course correct me out of a relationship, not out of a, how could you do that? I'm done with you. You know what? Because we see in the prodigal son, he had his script. He came back, and he was like, okay, I'm going to tell my dad. I know I'm unworthy. I've sinned against you. But the dad ran to him, and he hugged him. And you know what he did? He actually gave him what he didn't deserve. He said, bring out the fatted calf, bring out the robe and the ring on the finger and the sandals. He wanted to first and foremost affirm, you are my son no matter what. And it was probably the hardest thing for that young man to receive what he didn't deserve. But God showered him with goodness. And I believe that's why the Bible says, the goodness of God leads one to repentance. Mm, that's uh, well said. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out how to accept this love from God when we live in yeah. a world where we are always held to certain timelines and uh, yeah. you know, what's, what are you doing? How are you winning out in the world? What, what are your accomplishments? <laughs> yeah. How am I performing? Oh my gosh, you're, hit, you're totally just speaking the language of, of what it happens when we drift because Think about it. The kingdom of this world, you get a, you get ahead and you become by doing. So if you want to be promoted, 
you make more sales. And if you want to reach the, the top of the ladder, man, you need to work your way around that culture and become the biggest, you know, producer in that organization. But in the kingdom, Bill, you don't become by doing, you become by receiving. And so all of my life is now learning how to receive from the Father. And the three things that I love to tell people every day that I receive is I receive his, his view of me, I'm his beloved son, his purpose for me, which is to house the presence of God on this earth mm-hmm. and to, to receive his thoughts toward me, which David said, his thoughts are precious and innumerable. And I have to go into receiving now who I am to God and who he is to me. So I receive his gift of righteousness. I receive the abundance of grace. I receive the mercies that are brand new every single day. I receive the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, inside my life. And now I go into receiving mode because you can't give what you haven't first yet received from the Father. And so when, it, when you, what you said about the love statement is we have it so tied to our performance that we believe, and I ask people this all the, all the time, how are you in God? And Bill, you know what? I have never had one person answer me differently than, hey, I'm good because of what I've done, or I'm bad because, man, I haven't really spent time in the Word. And so they base their entire relationship with God upon them. Wow. And we are to base our relationship upon the perfect Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world so that I can enjoy God now. If it's based upon me, I live with a heavy backpack that I, I just know at any moment I'm going to fail. And guess what? We're going to. And when we, when we do, we feel like our whole world collapsed. How are me and God? And so we, I see a lot of people who doubt their relationship with God. They don't have confidence to approach him. Their prayer life is hindered because of it, all because they've drifted into a functional, transactional way of relating God. Exactly what you said. They're trying to perform and achieve their way to a place where God goes, I'm so proud of you because of what you do. No, I receive his promises based upon who I am to him, not what I've done for him. Not to mention they get exhausted trying to do that. Exactly. You get exhausted. You get weary. I am telling you, Bill, that's why I feel like this message is liberating because people are striving to attain something with God that the cross already provides for them. And so they're trying to make their relationship with God good every day by what they do. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3, he says, who bewitched you? Who demonized your way of thinking that you actually began in the spirit by receiving a faith? but now you're trying to perfect yourself by the works of the law. He says, you guys have this all wrong. You receive in the spirit, but you also actually are perfected by faith, by faith just as well. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a little break. I guess Thank you. is uh, Pastor Justin Kane. If you have drifted away from the Lord, let me know how you got back and how long you drifted and send me a text. I'd love to hear. I've got time for one or two quick text messages, 877-933-2484. Did you drift away? And how'd you get back? Love to hear it. 877-93-FAITH. Be back with Justin in a minute. Justin Kane. He's pastor of New Day Church in Illinois. He's got a new book out called Drifted. Help people see why they drift and where they have drifted to and how it has affected their relationship with God. 
Justin, you're yeah. doing an excellent job. Just so you know, I'm getting some nice feedback from listeners. Uh, one in Thank particular you, just sent me a text and said, amen and amen. How about that? Yep, that's awesome. Yeah. I hope it's ministering to them. I it hope has, it is. It has been a life-changing journey for me. One of the most challenging four years of my life, but the most rewarding of coming back to a place of freedom, joy, and intimacy. I can't tell you, I can't even explain or explain the experience that I'm, I'm living in right now because it's been overwhelming blessing of God. Yeah, those are three very happy words. Freedom, joy, intimacy, is that the, is that the three? Yep. I love Freedom, it. joy, and intimacy. I don't know who and, doesn't want um, more of that. Yep. Without a doubt. And you know what? We try to get it in so many ways. And as I went back to that thought is that we exchange the cross for ladders. And those ladders, no matter how many pious steps you put on those ladders, they never get you to where you think you want to go or where you think God wants you to go. And I tell people this all the time, that this journey that we are on is not one of destination. It's one of discovery. And I'm learning how to discover who God is for me and who I am to God. Because many people have this idea that they're here and they need to get here. And they have this big gap in between that they're disappointed with. And at the end of the day, it's not about the destination. The destination is God. (laughs) Jesus came to restore us to his father, not to get us to be better Christians Mm -hmm. or to make us look good on the outside. I'm at my destination, which is intimacy with the father. And now all of my function, everything I do is now out of that relationship, not to get that relationship any better. Yeah. Justin, let's go to a little nine-minute boot camp here. That's about how much time we have left um, on how we uh, get back to a genuine relationship with Jesus. And let's base it on, of course, what he did for us, not our behavior, because if we do our behavior, we're dead in the water. So how do you get back to a place where you drift? I think it's first and foremost very important, and I'll do my very best to, to share this in just a couple minutes is to understand why we drift. And I feel like, Bill, and I, and I don't say this as a, a prideful statement, I really just feel like over the last four years, I, I try to answer that question. Why do people who started with a thriving relationship with Jesus drift so easy into a functional way? And I believe there's two very important reasons, but they're very noble and they're very um, undetected. The first one is Bill, we strive to get closer to God. Now, I know initially when you hear me, you're going to be like, okay, what's he trying to say? But first, we strive to get closer to God. Now, think about this. The Bible tells us that we are one spirit with the Lord. The Bible also tells that Jesus lives in us, and we live in Jesus, and God has made his home or his abode inside of us. And so how do we get closer than being one? And so if we're striving to get closer to God, I ask people, how do you get closer to God? They immediately give me a list of steps. It, does, it could be 10, 3, 7, 15, 20, 25, 30, or 1. It doesn't matter. But those steps are striving to get something that God already made happen on the cross. Jesus secured a oneness with us and the Father. So I'm no longer striving to get close to God. I'm trying to discover the God that I'm already close to. Mm. Now I'm reading my Bible to discover God who I'm close to. I'm not reading my Bible to try to get closer to him. I'm not going to a worship service to try to get closer to God. Because the reason why we love function so much is because you can measure it and you can compare it. And it either leads to a great sense of pride or a great sense of condemnation because you're not as far as somebody else or because you're much further than somebody else. The second main reason why we drift is that we, our goal is we want to become better Christians. Again, a very noble pursuit. But the Bible says that we've been made complete in Christ. 
just like a newborn baby who is brand just born, that is a complete human. It just has to now develop in being a human. And the same is with us. We were made new creations in Christ. I am complete in Christ. Now I'm discovering who I am and learning how to walk in that new creation. And so I'm not, now think about this for a second. I'm not trying to become closer to God or become a better Christian. I'm trying to discover the God that I'm close to, and I'm trying to discover who he made me in Christ Jesus. Now, imagine trying to preach a message without trying to help people become closer or helping them become better. What are you left with? You're left with encouraging them to discover who God is for them and who they are to God. And it has been the greatest three years of preaching for me of trying to help people grasp how good this God is that is to them, who he is, and who they are to God. And uh, it's been a challenge as well. But those two things, once they're off the table— will help you center yourself back to a relational understanding that it's all about what Jesus has done for you, and now you just get to live a life responding to him. Mm -hmm. Justin, if I think of this functional um, relationship with God, that's that's something that the human brain thinks, maybe I can control this, which is (laughs) completely silly. But the relational gospel, if I have this correctly uh, from your book, puts the focus completely on God's love for us, and you can bask in that all day long. You can, it, it, you're exactly right. I mean, you probably took the words right out of the book. It's amazing because now the spotlight is on Jesus. That's what the relational gospel does. It puts the spotlight and the pressure back upon where it belongs, and it takes the spotlight off of me. And exactly what you said, when we are functional, we feel like we're in control of it, like because we can measure it. We can see how much progress we made. We can feel good about ourselves. But when you have a relational gospel, You can't measure it because all you can measure is what Christ did for you. Therefore, it leads to no pride and it leads to no condemnation. You now get to enjoy being a son of God or a daughter of God. And the spirit inside of it cries out, Abba, Father. And I give people this example. If there was a young kid and his father was the Supreme Court judge who had a high position of authority, and he had the ability to alter lives with just one verdict, and he had a robe that he wore every day. When he comes home, that kid does not relate to him as a judge. That little boy or little girl runs up to him and says, Daddy, you're home, and he sees him or she sees him as Daddy. And I want to help people get back to that place of intimacy and fellowship with God so that they're not distant from this big scary judge that's going to uh, condemn them one day. No, they get to see him as Abba Father and enjoy his presence. Mm. You know, Justin, your personality seems very genuine and very joyful. So it's, you're really walking the walk here, which I love. Talking the talk and oh, walking yeah, the walk. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, and I know we have just a few minutes left. It's because I've been there. Like I taught function. Uh, I was admired for my function. I lived in or I was part of a functional ministry Everything about my life was transactional. So okay. if you give, man, God's going to do this. And you serve, God's going to do this. And I just came to a place where I feel so free to live for him. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not free to go sin. and live. I, I don't want to do that. I want to live for my father because finally I know that he and I are secure. I don't have to worry about he and I. Mm-hmm. I just now get to enjoy him uh, operating through my life. Yeah. Can I ask you, Justin, to be a little pastoral in the last two minutes and pray for my dear beloved listeners who might feel like they've drifted? Absolutely. And I just want to say this one encouragement to those who are listening. I just want to remind you that God always 
meets you right where you are. He'll meet you in your pain, in your sin, in your function, in your rebellion. He'll meet you, and he will be the very thing that you need in that moment. So, Father, I pray right now for every single person that has ears to hear listening to this, that I know that this is not an accident, that they're actually um, engaged with our conversation that Bill and I are having. And so I pray in Jesus' name, open their eyes, Father God, to the realities of what Christ has done. Bring them back to a, a place where they know that, man, their relationship with you, Father, is completely determined by Jesus and not them. That, Father, your grace is abounding, your love is endless, and your mercies are brand new every morning. So help them to learn how to receive even though they don't deserve it, we can receive freely because Christ exchanged his life for us. So I bless them today. I thank you for Bill, Father God. I thank you for the impact he's making, that he's influencing so many people. May you give him more grace to do what he's doing and to expand his borders. In Jesus' name, amen. Justin, thank you so much. There's nothing not to like about you. Thank you so much, Bill. This was a pleasure and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, as did I. Pastor Justin Kane has been my guest. His new book is Drifted. And that wraps up our show for the day. Thanks so much for listening and spending time with us today. I want to thank the guys for Guy Talk and Justin for an awesome uh, uh, time together as well. I look forward to our time again tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone, and God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.